Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 138. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday, Steelers Nation. A very busy, jam-packed episode of the podcast, which is not always the case on June 2nd, but pretty eventful day. It seems like Thursday at OTAs and a very special interview we'll have in just a little bit on the podcast. So cannot wait for you guys to listen to that. Dave, how you doing? Doing absolutely fantastic uh, on this Friday, end of uh, the second week of OTAs now, one more week of OTAs, and then the mandatory mini camp, and then the wait begins until uh, training camp gets. I, I would imagine uh, within, you know, next, uh, what, couple of weeks, we'll get the, uh, the uh, training camp schedule. So uh, great day to be alive. It is. And I want to tease this now. And we've kind of mentioned this, I believe, again, teased it as well at the end of Wednesday's show. But in just a little bit, we'll be joined by longtime Steeler scout Mark Gorsick, who is stepping down, graduating, as he says, not done with football, but is uh, leaving his post as the longtime almost 30 years in Pittsburgh as their area scout. So it's about a 40 minute conversation with him. Really thankful for his time. Tons of great information about what it's like to be a scout, to work in Pittsburgh, and even a tremendous story on how he became the GM of the AFL Pittsburgh Gladiators in 1987. So uh, really excited for you guys to listen to our conversation with Mark Gorsuch. But they will start things off with the here and now in Pittsburgh. And it was the young corners day to shine. It seems like during the Thursday OTA practice, Joey Porter Jr. getting first team reps. Apparently, Corey Trice Jr. had a big day, three pass breakups and an interception. And so the young corners turning heads in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And then uh, you mix in uh, you know, a little bit of news about Dan Moore getting some uh, right tackle uh, snaps and Patrick Peterson getting some work in the in the slot. Uh, I, I kind of view yesterday's OTA as uh uh, I don't know, would it be chicken soup for the uh, Steelers soul or would it be uh, <laughs> uh, uh, perfect catnip uh, for, 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 for the Steelers fan? Uh, but uh, yeah, look, I mean, that's the kind of st- obviously this t- <clears throat> this time of year, uh, you know, you have to be careful with 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 what comes out of OTAs and and, you know, uh, uh, you know, take it as it comes and not not get overly hyped or, or, or too low about things that happen. But uh, certainly some positivity, I think, to uh, come out uh, on Thursday there, especially when it comes to the uh, young quarter cornerbacks and, and, and Trice uh, specifically. And it makes your mind. I, I know my mind raced a little bit uh, yesterday afternoon thinking, man. You know, uh, uh, and and obviously it'll be a long, long time before we we know for sure. But uh, you know, not only if the Steelers could manage to get one solid cornerback out of this class, uh, but what if they got two? You know that 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 kind of thing there. So uh, it was good to hear uh, those reports, and probably not surprising that 
you know, a guy like Porter is probably going to get reps in, 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 in different groups and, uh, you know, moving out through the rest of the summer. Cause you got to get some of these younger, uh, kids that you think can, can contribute, uh, you know, as much experience, <clears throat> you know, with the starters and the backups as possible to see how they respond. But, you know, I just think overall, and it kind of goes back to what we, you know, said, you know, uh, in, in the last, I think, couple previous podcasts there, I, I think when you look in totality at what all has happened uh, with this team throughout the offseason on in into, you know, two weeks now of OTAs, I mean, there's what what is there to complain about? I mean, I, you really have to be uh, ha- have a, a nice level of excitement at, at this point of the off season here, when it comes uh, to the Steelers and, and really Thursday's OTA practice, you know, has, makes it seem like there's a good head of steam going into the final week here. It is just one day of OTAs. And by the time training camp rolls around, and certainly as you get in the preseason, regular season action, you'll forget about what happened on June 1st. But anytime you can maybe hear about those flashes of what a player can do at his best, I mean, I think it's just certainly, you know, noteworthy. And Pittsburgh is all about guys that that have ball skills and for tries to make plays in the football, even in a, you know, football in shorts and shells setting is still really encouraging. So it's good to hear about that. And it seems like Porter you know, it had earned those first team reps, but it also sounded like they're they're moving Patrick Peterson around some. And Peterson, basically since the moment he signed back in March, has teased the idea of moving around and being versatile and doing some different things that Arizona, Minnesota never allowed him to do. And Peterson's saying he moved around yesterday, including playing in the slot. And so we've talked about how that slot cornerback room will look and Chandon Sullivan getting first crack there last week. It just doesn't feel like Sullivan should be this team's full-time slot corner. And so, you know, how do you get Porter, Peterson, and Wallace on the field all at the same time in sub-package? I think the most logical thing, we talked about this a while back, was to move Peterson inside. So they're going to mix and match. Nothing set in stone right now, but that seems to be, you know, potential nickel configuration of having Porter and Wallace on the outside and Peterson playing in the, inside in the slot. Yeah, and he said, uh, you know, he didn't overly commit to that being what will happen. Uh, basically, said, you know, we'll, we'll see how they want to do this moving forward here. But the fact that that has happened, and 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 Peterson sounded pretty comfortable uh, uh, in in doing so. Obviously, he's not new uh, to the slot position overall. He has played some slot throughout his uh, career. Uh, you know, uh, obviously, he's been more of an outside guy, but, uh, you know, look, I mean, this is the time to kind of do that stuff, right? Mix and match and see where people are comfortable at, see what, what, uh, what different variations you can do. And, and so, yeah, I, I think this is just a regular, um, uh, part of the maturation off season progress, especially when you got a lot of newer guys, uh, in, 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 in the secondary as well, well there. So, uh, we'll just continue to monitor it. And, you know, obviously when we get into, into training camp and you're out there and can start charting more of that stuff in your hieroglyphics, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll start getting a, uh, probably a firmer, firm, firmer grasp on this overall, but you know, I just, and look, you know, I, I thought, it, uh, it, if, if anybody's on Twitter or whatnot, you know, JJ White, I don't know if you saw that little, uh, 
video that, that, that JJ Watt put out yesterday on Twitter. And I, I, I imagine that was probably mostly directed at uh, either Texans or, or Cardinals fans. I, I haven't really been paying attention to what's been going on in, in those OTA sessions, but uh, you know, in so many words, you know, JJ said, you know, these rookies are going to have good days and bad days. Uh, and you know, one, one video or one rep out of, out of an OTA, uh, uh, session might circulate and create either a negative or positive narrative more times than not. Those are negative narratives. And, you know, it kind of, I kind of relate that to maybe what, what happened the other day with, with Mark Robinson. Right. And then really you can probably rubber stamp that to what happened to, uh, to Corey Trice, uh, 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 on, on Thursday and both those kind of being positive things, uh, there, although for every positive defensive player, there's probably a negative, mm-hmm. uh, uh, offensive, uh, 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 play that happened there. You just got to go with the ebbs and flows of these things and, and not get too high and not get, uh, uh too low. You know, I, I think the biggest takeaways come, when, when you have somebody with educated eyes there in training camp, you know, such as yourself, and then obviously get into, you know, the preseason games where we all can watch the tape and, and, and start forming our opinions. But I, I thought it was a great uh, uh, welcome to reality kind of video from, from J.J. Watt. So, look, I mean, obviously be excited about some of these things that are coming out, but within that, you got to take them with a, with, with, a, with a grain of salt as well, too. Sure. It's a long process and people have to understand you're not defined by what you do or don't do on one play, uh, one day, or even, you know, one week. It's uh, where you start, where you finish. Do you show progression? Do you avoid making the same mistake twice? You know, how much can be put on your plate? It's a, it's a whole long evaluation process. And granted for some, it's a shorter time. Some guys, if you're number 90 on the roster, you have a shorter probably time to be evaluated into, you know, Hold serve your spot than the guy that's the, the first round pick, but uh, it's still nice to hear these things to get some sense of what's going on, at least in terms of at least uh, positionally where guys are aligning to kind of set some sort of framework for myself for training camp. Of course, you don't want to get too high, too low, as you said, on the evaluation stuff, especially right now, but still nice to hear. And we know that a guy like Trice has talent and he was better than your typical seventh round pick is from a pure talent standpoint. It was the medical that dinged him and caused him to drop. And so um, when you hear about some of those reports, it kind of affirms that the tape, you know, told you that Trice was better than where he was actually selected. I'll tell you the scary thing about what one of the scarier things that Watt had to say is how some young players won't experiment with pass rush, you know, moves for fear of Mm -hmm. uh, it it being caught on, on tape and it being a bad rep and circulating, uh, that way, look, I mean, in the age of the Internet, and social media, now everything's instant, right? We want to we want instant information and we want to judge that instant uh, information. But, uh, you know, uh, and once again, he that that was probably in response to, I don't know, Texans or Cardinals fans probably overreacting to something that 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 they saw there but uh anyway uh you know another thing to come out was uh dan moore jr uh uh you know getting you know reps at right tackle and that's obviously not surprising at all and i don't think uh one of the one of the uh more you know funny quotes uh, to 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 come out of dan moore uh jr on 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 thursday 
kind of plays into some recent conversations that, that we've had as well, too. Dan Moore Jr. said on his uh, reps at right tackle, it's weird. It's like wiping your butt with the other hand. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we talked about the muscle memory thing and and how some guys probably it, it, it it's an easier transition than other guys for whatever reason. And uh, Dan Moore Jr. since coming into the in, in, into the NFL, uh, I believe has one snap at right tackle. And correct me if I'm wrong, that was a uh, a kneel down snap where they were just fooling around with the with the configurations there. And I think even if you go back to his time at uh, Texas A&M, I don't remember him having many snaps, if any, over over. I'll have to go back and look at 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 at, at right tackle there. So uh, you do need to get all of these guys: uh, Chiquamo Corfor, Dan Moore Jr., uh, Broderick Jones, even God forbid, LaRaven Clark. You know, uh, plenty of time throughout the offseason at both tackle spots. You do, and it makes the most amount of sense to have more start that swing possibility because I think you want Broderick Jones who has played some right tackle in the past, but you want him to get as many reps at left tackle as possible to really be able to evaluate him at that left tackle spot. Since that's the, the area, the position he's most directly competing for to start. And for more, you know, if you had to move that guy back to left tackle, say late in the summer, let's say he beats out Broderick Jones, He's got the experience there. He's got comfort there. It's going to be a pretty quick transition to go back to left tackle. He'll be spending time at right tackle throughout the summer. And of course, he's probably going to play both. He's going to, you know, get time at both left tackle, right tackle throughout OTAs throughout the summer, throughout preseason games. But yeah, I think more, I think he did a little bit of right tackle early in his AM career, but then pretty quickly flipped over to left tackle and was their guy there. So he's going to need reps there because it is pretty foreign to him as he, as he mentioned. Um, and so, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he also played a bit of right tackle his rookie year in training camp with Pittsburgh is when they thought, you know, Corford would be the left tackle. Zach Banner would come back, be the right tackle. And obviously that all, you know, went up in smoke there pretty quickly, but um, more got a couple of snaps there, but certainly you're going to have to, to cross train him. I just wonder, you know, what happens to Broderick Jones. If let's say he can't beat out Dan Moore jr. How many reps at right tackle is Broderick Jones really going to get, this summer, I don't know if he's going to get many, some maybe, but I, I just wonder how that's going to go if Moore is able to keep that starting job. Looking back here, uh, Dan Moore in 2017 at AM had 13 snaps in at right tackle. Uh, all of them came in one game in 2018. Dan Moore had all of his snaps at left tackle that season. Uh, 2019. Probably all left tackle. All at left tackle. And 2020, uh, just to confirm, all of them at left tackle. So he had 13 career snaps Hmm. at uh, right tackle at Texas A&M all in one game. Right. So I knew he had played a tiny bit there early in his career. Obviously not much. That was probably in-game injury. He's probably not even practicing there. If I had to guess, it's not like he had a full game there. So yeah, very limited amount of snaps. So it's going to be an adjustment for him. But, you know, you, you would think at some point sooner than later, potentially out of the gate week one, Broderick Jones will be the left tackle. Chuck Wilmore core for based on, 
you know, the, how comfortable he is at right tackle, the contract that he's under, he's going to be the right tackle. You need somebody to be a, a valuable swing guy. And right now the odds are Dan Moore is going to be that guy. And so you better start that, that training pretty early. I would agree. And I would expect to hear more of that moving forward. And, you know, at least the thing with uh, uh, one of the uh, positive, positive things with, uh, with Broderick Jones was the fact that, uh, he practiced at right tackle uh, quite a bit during, you know, because they said they they ran a really a skeleton kind of uh, group of offensive linemen there, so to speak. So uh, every practice they got work at, uh, at 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 both tackle spots there. So at least uh, from from a practice standpoint, he's familiar with the uh, with the position. If you're Pittsburgh, Dave, if you're Mike Tomlin. How many snaps, if any, do you give Broderick Jones at right tackle this summer in training camp? Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I move them all around, Alex. I, okay. I really do. You move it a core four, too? I mean, yeah. I mean, because, uh, you know, uh, well, maybe not so much with a core four because that, yeah, that's more Dan Moore's natural position. So probably not as much with him, but, uh, and, and, but, you know, a, a core four. Uh, has you know obviously played left tackle in uh, a lot in college at all. I mean, I, I would give the the majority of the right tackle snaps throughout the summer to Broderick and Dan Moore. I think. Okay, you said right tackle snaps to. to yeah, Jones and yeah. I mean, yeah. I I want to see them over there at right tackle. You know, because obviously Chukwuma Corfor is you know. Well, going to be the starter over there, so he's sure. going to get his natural amount of snaps. Sir, I'm just saying outside of Dan Moore, uh, Jr. When 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 those two guys are not rotating in at left tackle, they probably should be over at right tackle getting okay. some snaps. Yeah, I think Moore's going to play a lot more at right tackle this summer than Jones, and I'm comfortable with that. I think Jones will need some reps at right tackle because, again, if Moore becomes or remains the starter, then Jones is going to need some potential right tackle snaps to kind of be be that swing guy early to start his NFL career. But I think you want to get Jones, you know, a lot of snaps at left tackle to really evaluate him, to get him comfortable and, and see if he can really be this team's left tackle or not. So I think Jones will get some. Dan Moore will get more snaps at right tackle because you can kind of more easily shoehorn him back into that left tackle spot if need be, because he's, he's pretty comfortable there at this point. Right. But what if you'll go in, you know, uh, if you go into a season, I mean, cause you know, we, we've talked about this several times, you know, this team got lucky. So yeah, I, I just want to make sure that you come out of the summer with those top three guys comfortable. Sure. And yeah, I want Jones to get snaps at right tackle. Um, no doubt about that. Cause he needs to, but, I think the the thought is sooner than later, Jones will be this team starting sure. left tackle. And that means that Moore's got to be the swing guy. Sure. And he needs a lot of snaps at right tackle because as we just outlined, his experience there is right. pretty limited. Right. Anything else from OTA, Steve, in terms of things that caught your attention? I think those were kind of the big stories coming out of Thursday. Yeah, I think those are the main takeaways. Uh, it was uh, interesting to hear Patrick Peterson talk with uh, Bryant McFadden on the All Things Covered podcast about uh, Calvin Austin. Yeah, well, first of all, I know Patrick Peterson's about to be 33. I think he's 83. He talks like the oldest man ever. It's uh, it's pretty pretty funny to hear that guy speak, but said uh, that joker's fast when it comes to Calvin Austin. Told the story of OTAs, the 7v7, you know, had no idea basically who Calvin Austin was because he didn't play last year. And so 
just lines up against him, gets that feel of his speed, made sure to to make it clear the pass was incomplete. But Peterson said that uh, Austin certainly the fastest guy in that room. And so it's good to hear that even though, you know, Jones or um, Austin had that foot injury last year, had the foot surgery, does not appear he's lost his, uh, you know, four, three, two speed. And I think uh, you talk about the old man in the room, you know, Peterson, and just because how, how, you know, look, he, he's, uh, he communicates very, very well, not only in the, in the, in the media interviews, but on his own podcast. And, you know, he's been around the block and to hear some of these, the, the younger cornerbacks uh, talk, you know, since they've been drafted and, and on through two weeks of OTAs, uh, it sounds like, you know, Patrick Peterson's being the big daddy in the room and, and, and doing a great job of communicating uh, and helping those younger guys transition. So uh, that's really invaluable to have a guy like that with that much experience that can take those young guys. And look, it's not just Trice and Porter Jr. as the young guys in the room either, right? Because you got a guy like in, uh, James Pierre uh, who's still you know, on the young side. You got a couple of these other, uh, you know, Shannon Sullivan obviously already has has a relationship uh, with Patrick Peterson, but you know, just it's a a, a good overall addition uh, for the room from a veteran standpoint, uh, from a guy that 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 you know, isn't afraid of passing along his knowledge to these younger guys to make them, make them better. So I think that's a, uh, an undervalued, uh, key takeaway from, from, from when it comes to the addition to Patrick Peterson. I think that's pretty evident to hear everybody talk throughout this thing. Yeah. I'm with you to have that veteran leadership. You lose Cam Sutton, you replace that with Peterson. So it sounds like him and Minka have really taken charge of that room. And it's good to hear that Porter and Trice, they're asking questions. They want to be taught. They're not just passively or being forced basically to sit down and learn from these guys. They're active. They're, they're high energy. As Peterson said, uh, he joked that he, those guys make him feel young again. And so th- those are all you know positive signs right now. The avatar cornerback. Uh, uh, group i guess uh, th- those two i tell you when you see some of these clips come out uh you know from from like the steelers.com and all like that those guys do look like carbon copies of each other don't they yeah i mean they are two guys that look good getting off the bus i mean porter's a bit longer than trice but trice still has good lengths and yeah i mean they are two big physical press man type of cornerbacks and that's the type of defense pittsburgh's trying to build and once again, if you can, uh, I mean, not only get, look, you, you hope to get at least one, one, you know, pro bowl, uh, slash maybe all pro type corner cornerback out of these two. But, uh, imagine if you got, you know, your mind can't help, but wonder, uh, how nice it would be if they, if both these guys hit, right. Yeah. I mean, heck, if you could get the, you know, there, there's a chance if all things go right. And obviously this is far, far down the road, but you know, there's a chance that Porter and Trice could be your starting outside corners next year. Wallace is a free agent. Peterson, you know, it's a two-year deal. We'll see if he makes it to year two. We'll see how 2023 goes, but, you know, Porter, probably a pretty good chance he's going to be a starting cornerback, you know, in, in base packages for that that first snap of 2024, and Trice, we'll see, but the potential's there. All right. Uh, what else has uh, come out of OTAs here? Anything? I- yeah, I think those were the big things to talk about overall. Let me just uh, scroll on down the site here. 
Yeah, let me just ask you just to kind of go back to that in terms of slot corner. You have any thought about how this thing's going to look come week one? Any, any new thoughts? Not a clue. I mean, it, it obviously is is a positive and kind of a continuation from things that you know Tomlin has said about Peterson since he was signed, and what Peterson's kind of uh, has said. And you know, I, I I'm I'm not write, writing anything down in pen, but uh, you know, it it does look like we're trending to Peterson getting some sort of level of work in the slot. So you know, we got a long time to kind of. Uh, look at this and break it down and all like that. But uh, uh, if this team were to still add at some point past, you know, and look, they still have 89 on the roster, right? On the active roster right now, that number 90 could come in the next five minutes or could come, you know, uh, after, after a mandatory mini camp or whatnot. But I mean, if this team were still to add, at some point between now and, 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 and week, week one, you know, you would think slot, you know, a more accomplished, better uh, uh, slot could potentially be on the table. I think a backup center very mm-hmm. much could, you know, that, that, that's one thing I think that kind of come out of this first two weeks of OTAs is it sure, it sure sounds like Kendrick Green's number two right now. Right. Yeah, I was going to bring that up to you as kind of the last piece of information that came out. Kendrick Green, you know, saying basically saying I I shouldn't have played my rookie year. It was a mistake on on everybody's part to basically put me in that position. He wasn't comfortable at center. He says he feels more comfortable now. He's kind of gone back and forth about liking playing center versus not playing center, which is basically whenever the team has him at at guard, he says, "I, I did not like playing center. And then when he has him at center, he says, I like playing center. So that's kind of the way that he's 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 approached this thing. But yeah, I mean, I'm going to do an article, write an article sometime soon. My thought is Kendrick Green did not fail the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers failed Kendrick Green. Sure. I think they really misevaluated him, misused him totally. Yeah, He was the opposite of what they were looking for and what they wanted, what they needed. And it, it, it might be it might be one of their worst draft picks in a long time, just from the aspect of the evaluation and just totally whiffing on that. And I can still I still can't get my head around why they thought he was their day one starter. Yeah. They, uh, square peg round, hold them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and right out of it. It's one thing to do it over, you know, o- over time maybe, but, uh, uh, that was coming out of that draft. That was one of the mo- more, more confusing picks overall, especially when you get into week one of the season and, and he's your starter. And it, it didn't take too long, uh, when it came to the tape to know that, that, that wasn't going too well. And yeah, I think he's probably look, he's had to read all this stuff and he's seen his own tape and sit, sat in the meeting rooms. Uh, it hasn't gone well for him at center and for him to, 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 to now be on both sides of the fence saying, man, I, I, I didn't like playing center, but now, you know, now that he is kind of back at center saying, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to take, take to it. I mean, he, he's doing what the, you know, through no fault of his own, he, sure. you know, he, he's, he's, you know, you feel for the guy, right? I mean, sure. he's, he's doing what he's told to do. And, uh, I, I just wonder how that's going to go the rest of this summer. And, you know, I wrote several weeks ago, uh, that, uh, uh, backup center needs to be, you know, the center of attention, uh, pardon my bad pun there, but 
I, I still think that that's a position that this team needs to look. And we don't know what's in line for Spencer uh, Spencer Anderson, but he, you know, it even sounds kind of unfair of him to him at this point, even though he's got some position flexibility to maybe fast track him into maybe becoming that backup center. So I, you know, obviously you got Mason Cole there that, that's going to be your starter. I my hope is from 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 an analyst and a fan perspective is I sure hope they take a hard look at that backup center spot moving out th- through the rest of this process and potentially add. You're not going to get a pro bowler there to come in and be be the backup center, but it does feel like you can do better than what you have right now when it comes to a backup center that could potentially you know in emergency play one or two guard positions. Not that I was his biggest fan or am going to lose a tremendous amount of sleep over this, but why didn't they just tender J.C. Hassenauer? They could have done that for still. I know it's a little bit more expensive. They still could have done that for relative cheap to get a, you know, a pretty known backup center. Again, he's not a pro bowler. I think he was limited to center only, which kind of, I think, hampered his overall value to the team. He, he had played guard, but to me, just was too small to actually play guard in a game comfortably. But it is weak behind Mason Cole right now. There's no question about that. So why not just tender Haas an hour and you'd probably feel a bit better about your depth situation right now. And, you know, you got Ryan McCollum still on a roster, but what, it, you know, what is he really, you know, is that really, you know, going to be an upgrade or whatnot? I, mean, I we'll think see. he's a sleeper. I think he's a real okay. sleeper. He's got some experience. He's got some size, obviously haven't seen him in Pittsburgh too much, but I don't want to forget about him. Uh, there are some guys on some rosters right now, though, on some 90-man rosters, whether they be number two or number three or or maybe even a number one that gets shifted down to a number two that, that might not end up making a roster somewhere. You know, it happens every offseason. So you can bet. Uh, I, I would like to think that, that you know, uh, they, are, they, they will be looking at that. Someone in our live stream, I think maybe two editions ago, made the comment about Jimmy Morrissey from Pitt, who is with Kenny Pickett, and he's in Houston right now. I think it's a really good suggestion because the Texans drafted a couple centers, Juice Scruggs, they took pretty high. They took Jared Patterson after that. Morrissey's a guy that's played a bit of football, 24 years old. I don't know exactly what his roster odds look like right now. Probably not great coming out of the draft. And so he's a bit undersized too, but that's a name that I think really should be considered how many how many snaps has he played in his career he has 315 he started four games in 2021 played just 57 offensive snaps last year as a backup and so not a ton of experience but some and there's some good connections there back to pittsburgh okay well maybe that's a possibility there so uh look and and we'll, we'll circle this back to to, 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 to corner and, or slot corner. And even, you know, I guess, you know, inside linebacker, uh, I know, I know a lot of people are, are, are kind of wondering about Isaiah Simmons and all like that. And I know our own Jonathan Hightritter, uh, wrote about that, uh, this past week and all, uh, I, un- I understand the attraction to that. I understand all the, 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 the talk around it and, and that kind of thing there. But I mean, I think if you look overall, where he's at contractually and him being a uh, former, what, first round draft pick. Right. And uh, 
what they have invested with them. I think one of the key things that, uh, and I, you know, we, we pointed this out to the staff earlier in the, in, in the week as well, too. Uh, he is due a, 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 a August 1st roster bonus uh, with the Cardinals. And it's, I think it's over two, uh, uh, over $2 million there. So, and then they obviously didn't pick up his fifth year option. Right. So, uh, 2023 is scheduled to be the final year of Isaiah Simmons contract. Everything screams when it comes to the Cardinals and Simmons is that they're going to have to make a decision on him by August the 1st, if indeed that language of that contract is true. And within that, I mean, if you if, if the Cardinals decide to keep him past August 1st, they're going to have to pay that that roster bonus, and then they would be on the hook for it. Would they really make that decision of keeping him past August 1st and then trade him uh, on top of it? And what would you get in return uh, for that on either side of that decision? It makes you makes it feel like that if they kept him past August 1st, they're going to keep him plain, plain, plain and simple at that point. Now, if you're looking at them potentially trading Simmons prior to them paying that 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 August 1st roster bonus, how many teams out there are going to want to inherit a cap charge of what did I say it would be 3.4 million right 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 around in there for for that kind of guy? Mm-hmm. There, there, there might be some teams willing to do that, uh, you know, especially depending on injury and all like that, but. On the flip side, once again, what what are the Cardinals going to want in return for a former first round draft pick with only one, you know, only under contract for for the 2023 season, you know, and then what are teams willing to give up for a player with a three point four million dollar cap charge that could potentially be a one year rental? I guess where I'm getting at, getting uh, with all this is the fact that. I mean, it's, it's not impossible that the Cardinals would deal him. I just, from where I sit, it, it just seems highly unlikely that they will. I think the path to Simmons to another roster might just be a flat-out cut, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 when it comes to him. So I, I understand the attraction, uh, you know, not only Steeler fans, but, but, but fans around the league when it comes to a, a guy like him. But I think when you get into the more logistics related to his contract and and that August first decision, I think a lot of people are bypassing that. It's a good point, I will say, and it's a different team, different situation. But the Rams paid Allen Robinson's March roster bonus right, and then dealt him like a month later. Ah, uh, that happened with the the Rams. He had a roster bonus they paid, and they still shipped him out. What did, what did I end up finding out about uh, that with, with, with Robinson? No, uh, the Steelers ended up uh, – wait a minute here. Well, wasn't it like in March unless his contract no, got, that, got No, that, that ended up not being the date with him. Oh, okay. Right. So what uh, happened with that? Oh, I had to – That's the thing with the Rappaport tweet that was kind of confusing about yeah. how it all got structured. Yeah, I'll have to look back and see what I wrote about that. But it ended up being that uh, uh, his roster bonus was not tied to March. Okay. Uh, I'll have to. Well, yeah, while you, if you want to look 
that up. Yeah, I mean, with Simmons, you know, I, I get the connection. I get the pedigree. Who knows? I think you're right. A cut is probably more likely. Got a new regime, new GM, new head coach in there. Didn't draft Simmons. But if you're a team trading for him in that contract, and it's not super small, 3.4, as you said, this guy's going to have to play for you. Going to have to have some sort of pass to to be more than just a special teamer. And because it's a one-year deal, there's not a lot of time to to wait and see. And so it is kind of tricky, as you said. So you know, you can't rule things out. Omar Khan's, you know, been busy this offseason. No question about that, but probably less likely than some people think for the reasons that, that you just outlined. Uh, I do know that there was a previously scheduled, uh, you know, roster bonus in 2024 with Allen Robinson that went away. Remember us talking about that mm-hmm. as part of the restructure. Right. Um, uh, I have to, I don't have it in front of me here. It'd take too long to pull it up. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that the, the, the Rams, uh, I mean, they obviously took a, a you know, eight money as part of that deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't remember them having, I, I'll have to look back at the roster bonus. I don't remember. Okay. Well, I think it's probably a good time to wrap things up from the Steelers. I mean, they, they, obviously, if they mm-hmm. wanted to, you know, and once again, uh, what would they for, for for the Cardinals to have to eat, let's say the two point whatever uh, roster bonus on on Simmons is part of the deal. You would think they would want a pretty good return in the draft pick to do it right. I mean, they're not going to get much. This is a guy that hasn't worked out. If they're shipping him, then teams know he's he's basically on his way out of Arizona. Again, new regime. I would think he would get, at best, a fourth-round pick. Okay. That's my view. For, a one, for the one-year rental aspect of it, too, you can't give up a high draft pick for a guy that, you know, you, you have no idea what he's going to be on the field this year, and then you have no idea if he's going to be on your team next year. To me, it sounds more <clears throat> from a... Uh, because though the Cardinals will make a decision on Simmons, you would think whether or not they're going to want to keep him by August 1st. Right. Yeah. I mean, when the bonuses do, yeah, they're gonna have to make, right. That, make that call. Yeah. So what, what I'm getting at is, is, uh, if, if, if Simmons is dealt, I, I would imagine that the Cardinals would expect whatever team he's traded to, to, to be on the hook for that. August 1st roster bonus. In other words, if he's going to be dealt, it'd be between now and, and August 1st. I, I, it, you know, to me would be the most logical thing. Probably. Although maybe you could argue that if the Cardinals are the ones who have to pay that roster bonus, maybe a team would give up extra capital because they're no longer having to pay for that. If you're paying the bonus and his actual salary is a high first round pick, you may give up a little bit less to get that guy knowing all that's coming and you're going to be on the hook for it. Unless you can maybe somehow, can you take that out of the contract? Or is that kind of slotted in with the, uh, the CBA and the rookie deals? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about all that, but uh, he's, he, he ain't going to want that to go away. He He's not going to, you know, a young player. Well, like Yeah, but you would go to him and say, well, you're about to be cut. So it's going to yeah. go, go away no matter, you know, you either want to get traded and go somewhere. You want to be cut and, you know, start all over. It's your call. And and look, I mean, you obviously any team that acquired him, if they did so, but but before uh, the the you know that and and say they acquired and had had to be on the hook for that August first roster bonus, even though he's only on a you know they they could probably do something to add a couple of void years and stretch that out if they were yeah uh, uh, that that far cap why conscious. Does, 
Why does he have a roster bonus? Is that typical for rookie contracts like that? Uh, for, 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 for first, for first rounders, rounders, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't aware. Part, part of the, the slotting. And I, and, and I think we're even. Devin Bush have one? Uh, I'd have to go back and look, but I imagine, I think he did as, okay. as part of that and, and, and fully guaranteed. And I, I think this is fully guaranteed on, on Simmons as well, too. So if they did cut him, I, I, let me see. I looked at that the other day. Let me see if that indeed is fully. Yeah. If the contracts are fully guaranteed. How is there a roster bonus that I guess wouldn't be fully guaranteed if you Be- got because, uh, you know, I think it works into the whole 25% uh, rule and 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 all like that. Just how teams uh, structure these things. Okay. Uh, where's the guarantee on this? His uh, he is his guaranteed for Simmons guaranteed salary is three point four two seven. So not all. He was what was he? He was eighth overall in the draft. Uh, Hmm. No, yeah, yeah. His uh, his his full roster bonus is guaranteed, as is his base salary. Okay, all right, fair so enough. It, so, in other words, his his rookie contract was indeed fully guaranteed. Right, but there's still a roster bonus in there. Right, and that's guaranteed as well, too. Right, it's two. So he gets that no matter what. If he's even if he's cut. Yeah, if he's cut, he gets paid that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. The Cardinals, and if he's traded, he gets paid that from, right. from whoever you know. Whether it's not you know whether it's pre, who it depends on who's Over on the hook, hook, hook on yeah. who who whoever's on the hook for it. Okay, all right, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on Simmons. It's been talked about some. We'll see. But it, said, it, probably- just just part uh, you know, circling this back before we we switch to the interview here is that you know there there are obviously uh, positions on this roster the Steelers could still. Stand to improve. Center, backup center, uh, 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 slot cornerback, and and maybe even inside linebacker. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, Dave. I think people have waited long enough here. Let's get to our conversation with Steelers Scott Mark, Mark uh, Gorsick again, stepping down after a 28 year career with Pittsburgh, graduating on to new things. We'll talk about what, what some of those new things might be and his time in Pittsburgh. We'll take a break and come back with Mark. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast and a very special guest on today's episode. We mentioned this at the top of the show and have him here now, uh, fresh off a a great almost 30-year career with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Scout Mark Gorsuch is our guest today. We're so excited to get to talk with him. Mark, how you doing? I'm happy to tell you the truth, but I wake up happy. Well, we're very glad to hear that. And again, congrats on on your great career Absolutely. with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just the graduation. That's all it is. Right. I know we're gonna. I, I want to ask you about your your next football plans as well. But I know most fans, yeah, Steeler fans, know you by by name, by face, and also you're the man that uh, was running the uh, NFL Combine forty yard dash, and they're gonna miss you too over there in Indy for sure. But Mark, I wanna I wanna just ask you since you talked about you know this is a, a graduation. Why now in terms of you know stepping down from your role with the Pittsburgh Steelers as an area scout? Why now was the time to do that? Well, I just thought after 28 years and 16 years of coaching before that, you know, I've been involved in football for 44 years. So it reaches a point in time where I'd like to do some other things. I'm looking for uh, new challenges and creativity. I'm really seeking creativity right now. And, uh, you know, you want to be able to do things at a lesser pace, too, because of the fact that uh, 
I've been involved in football. I never had a fall off except for uh, the one year I was out because I was in arena football in 1987 while I was general manager at Pittsburgh Gladiators years ago when in the Civic Arena of all places. But it's just time. Dave, you can go ahead. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we'd like to apologize for stalking you so much over the last several <laughs> uh, several well, years, but it's it's kind of what we do in, in tracking – uh, you know, all these scouts as they go across uh, the, the, the various pro days specifically. And obviously you've been involved uh, with the uh, with the combine as well. So uh, let me pick it up, uh, uh, you know, with the combine in particular there. Uh, what you know, how tell the people how that all came about initially. And, you know, a lot of us just I mean, we've gotten used to. You know, that's that you are part of that process. Uh, Steeler fans in particular look forward to seeing you every year at that. What are the prospects of maybe you continuing that moving forward, uh, you know, at, at the combine in some way, shape or form? I, I asked Jeff Foster about that and I, I told him I'd like to do it for another couple of years. And uh, he said, because I'm not a team affiliate, I have to be voted in by the board of trustees. And Kevin Colbert's still on there. I told Kevin that. And Kevin goes, oh, you'll get my vote. And I, and I jokingly said to uh, Jeff, I said, yeah, if you need me to interview and send you a resume, I think it's pretty <laughs> nice. you know. But uh, it's one of those things where uh, I got roped into by a longtime scout named C.O. Bricado. And I did it. Uh, I got talked into doing it at the old Cactus Bowl, a D2 game, where we did everything to these young, young men. We worked them out. We did we did a whole combine. They practiced three times a day, too. And he saw me, and the guy previous to me uh, retired. He goes, you're my 40-starter, boy. I said, no, I'm not CEO. <laughs> oh, yeah, boy. And he's old, he's an old Louisiana guy from Shreveport, you know, living down in Texas, you know. And I said, no. Well, he called up Kevin. Okay. And he told Kevin I was going to be the starter. And Kevin calls me in his office. He said, you got to do it. I go, why? He goes, you're going to know everything about those young men because you're going to be on, on, on that uh, field. You're going to talk to all those group leaders. You'll find out all the dirt, who these young men are, who's the good people, who the bad people are, how they behave and all that stuff and valuable information. So I reluctantly said, yeah. And then uh, the very first year I'm down there and uh, it's something you grow into like anything. And all of a sudden this uh, guy comes up. He goes, I'm so-and-so NFL Networks. Yeah, good. Mark Orsak, Pittsburgh Steelers. I start walking away. He goes, hey, wait a minute. You need to put this microphone on. I said, what? Put this microphone on. And I, I said, I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, you got to have a mic on. And then uh Next thing I know, I got camera crews around me. I get in my stance that everyone makes fun of because they said I look like a tailback in the Nebraska old eye set. And <laughs> uh, I got a camera down by my feet. I got I'm like I'm like looking around. Go, hey, could you move over a little bit? I'm trying to work here and all that stuff. And then I just grew into it, you know. And and now between me, a 49ers scout, uh, uh, Justin Chabot or Shabbat, and uh, uh, another another young man from uh, Cardinals. We run that whole field. We set the times. We get together. Then then I have a good relationship with NFL Network, and we set the times so we take care of those young men so they get ample amount of time to loosen up. 
do you like the pro? Do you like the the, the switch uh, of uh, because here here's one of the the concerns that I have with the combine. And we track. I mean, we track everything through that. Mm-hmm. You know, we have spreadsheets and 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 you know track that annually and have for years. And obviously, since they have shifted things like the the three cone and the short shuttle uh, and, and really the start of, of, of the event overall daily to later in the day, you see less of these kids doing the, the three cones and the short shuttles at the combine. And, and I know a lot of most of them end up doing them at the pro day anyway, but it's good to have that baseline in Indy between all those guys. And I just, I wonder now, what, what do you think is going to happen with the combine moving forward? Are we going to see less, these kids do less and less things at the combine uh, moving forward. In other words, nobody running a three cone, nobody running a short shuttle. Uh, and it just ba- basically be, you know, the, uh, the physical and, and the 40 yard dash. Well, the trend has started a couple years ago, started with the long shuttle, which was just a grueling uh, shuttle it was a 60 yard shuttle back and forth. It was like running a, you know, a baseline in basketball. And uh, we did away with that. But you would like to see everybody do everything at the combine because historically, it's, that's where all the data generates because it's the same playing surface. Right. You, know, it's, you know, it's the same surface. You know, it's everything. Everything can be generated from here. But things are getting out of the cart. Started out with the uh, fast quarterbacks. I won't mention names. Refusing to run the forty. Hey, watch the tape. I'm fast. Yeah, you're right. You know, and there are a couple of those guys. Now the trend right now is the three cone. Nobody wants to run the three cone. Some of these guys don't run in, in the uh, pro day. But, you know, with the event of uh, NIL, okay, you know, that, that's going to change a lot. You know, they may ask to get paid. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. You know, it's just something I see foresee in the future that NIL is going to play a role in everything you do. I think after, you know, after you get out of uh, your college, they're going to want to get paid because they are professionals. They were professionals in college now. They want to get paid to go ahead and work out. Or maybe my tape's good enough. Watch the tape. You know, there's going to be certain trends going to happen because I think NIL. And it's going to affect college football. It's going to affect pro football. All I can say is tell me the rules of the game. I'll win at the game. Mark, for, yeah, for uh, those that don't know you, longtime area scout, can you just give me you know a season-by-season breakdown of what your responsibilities were what you did at about this time of year starting a new draft cycle into the fall winter and of course as you get into actual you know draft season which is all which is all the time for you guys but in terms of the the media kind of based draft season what are your responsibilities like for example you know this time a year ago how are you preparing for the next class what do you do in the fall what do you do in the pre-jab process just kind of give an overview of your responsibilities well let me take you back to the fall process when we're in training camp and we're going through our schedules and trying to set, have some separation so we don't show, show up at the same school at the same time. So we see, so we see them at different time periods. Okay. Cause that way you can tell the development, you know, or, you know, if you can go early, middle, or late, that's even the best way because some people peak late. Some people peak early and they may have a law because of an injury or maybe a personal issue happened to them. Maybe uh, someone passed away that's you know, in their family. Maybe they were sick and all that stuff. But fall camp, what we do is we rate our own players to help give the coaches a perspective, our opinion. We set our schedules, and then we go out. Uh, we try to go out to our fall training camps for the colleges just because the volume of prospects you have at major colleges are just, you know, it's immense. And to be able to go ahead and talk to coaches, the trainer, 
uh, academics, uh, strength coaches, and you may have like at Alabama, you may have 20 guys you're talking about. You know, it's tedious process, you know, so it's better to go to training camp, try to get some of your major schools knocked out in that way. Then once the season starts to roll, you got to go ahead and start someplace. I usually start my C schools, you know, they're free agent schools, and they usually have a couple people do them early. I can always check on them later and then jump into the college tape as, as the major colleges get three or four games. And you're on the road from, uh, you know, it's, you know, I watch, I watch our store game on Sunday and I usually have to get up at five o'clock and catch a seven o'clock flight out of Pittsburgh. You know, I try to hit four or five schools up, come home on Friday or stay out and do a game. And so you're on the road a lot. And, and I don't drink at every college bar like my uh, college buddies thought back <laughs> in 1995 when I started. You don't, you don't have time to do that. Mm-hmm. You're consumed by this from the time you get up to the time you get to bed and it's Groundhog's Day. And you do that, you know, from uh, August 4th to uh, the, the middle of uh, November. And you're writing reports all the time. I try, I try to crush as much as I can during the week. So if I'm home on the weekend to watch us play, my girlfriend's in town, I want to enjoy her, and I got to take a break, rest of my mind. Sure. Then you get that little wall, okay, uh, you'll be doing some cross checks. So either by positions or different areas or different schools, and, which is easier to do because you're home in, in December. And then you got January's going to be all-star games, okay? Then you got the combine February. March Madness, as some people call it, for all the pro days. April's your pro, your uh, your draft meetings. You know, you do the draft. You got a little bit of law. You got rookie mini camp. Okay, now you got OTAs going on right now, and this is kind of like the law right now. OTAs are easy. You watch, you watch the people. Okay, you may have a position, you may not, but you get a chance to notice everybody. You know, the, the free agents that you signed, you know, that were pro for free agents, and also the college free agents as well as your draft choices and watch them compete. And then you have a little wall after that during during July where you get to chill out, go on vacation, do different things. But you're gonna spend, like I said to somebody in a podcast or uh, one of the articles that were written about me, 28 years of doing this, nine years in Marriott Hotel. Yeah, you probably, probably give the best hotel reviews of anybody, I think, uh, that I know right now. I was going to ask you, you mentioned it because there is so much information and prospects and risers and, you know, guys that underclassmen that made the clear if they have a good year. How do you start that? Is that is that Blesto that helps kind of give you a, a groundwork of who to look for and some of the prospects? I mean, just where do you where do you begin in terms of a list of names and guys to start evaluating and talking about? Well, you hit it on the head, Blesto, and there's also national scouting, okay? Right. Uh, all the teams are involved in those two organizations except for four. And uh, we all share that information. Bless those shares of their teams. National shares with them. We go over it. And all it is is guidelines. These are young scouts. You know, we have a young scout, okay, that's designated as our blessed rep. And he's starting out to go ahead and create a list. And it's an oxymoron because you got a young guy breaking in. And I was that young guy at one time in 1995. I was the blessed rep on the South Coast for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, did I know what I was doing? No, you grow into it. Okay, so your list, people you think are draftable, you may think it's a free agent, they may be a lot better than that. But you don't have a baseline until, until down the road as you build that, as you get a couple of years into it. But they give you the guidelines. And then we have some analytical people in our office. We'll go ahead and, you know, toast and will. They'll go ahead and look statistically at players, and particularly juniors, and create our own junior list. 
okay, just to, for, to look at also, just to be on the safe side. If you go like Alabama, Alabama's really good. It's full disclosure down there. Sure. You want to talk about a redshirt sophomore, they're going to talk about a redshirt sophomore. You ask, they'll tell you everything because they want their players to come out early. If they're good enough to be drafting those first three rounds, that's what they want because that word's going to spread it. You can come out early. You're going to get more players like that. And that's basically how the list gets started. Plus, you know, if you're a cagey vet and you notice somebody that's a reject on a list, but the, co- the coach at the school recommending and you watch him, you go, this guy ain't no reject. He's a player. Uh, Mark, your uh, your process, you know, obviously you go to so many uh, pro days uh, during the pro day season and all. Uh, walk us and Alex and I are all about we love process. We, we uh-huh. love we love looking at that kind of stuff and taking our listeners and our readers into that. What would your process look like, say, right ahead of uh, right ahead of and on the way to each pro day trip? Obviously, these these kids aren't foreign to you. You know so much about them. You, you know, how much do you watch more tape of those kids on the plane and in the hotel? Just kind of take us through the process, say uh, the the date on the way to each pro day. No, I, I don't watch any more tape because. I, I, Chances are it's a big school I'm going to. I probably saw six, seven games. You know, I probably saw the best competition. I probably saw them early, middle, late. You know, I have enough tape, and but I want to re-familiarize myself with them. Okay. I want to reread my reports. I want to go over the character. So in case I have some some questions, they're pinpoint questions. You know, when I go into in, into even a second school visit or you know, going to a pro day. I'm not asking for the full money and ask him everything again. Hey, man, I may have a certain question. Hey, how does he really learn? I noticed this on tape. You know, pinpoint questions, particularly to the people you build relationships with. You know, I always tell people, anybody can learn how great tape. You really can. Anybody can. But how much information, how, what's the relationship you could build to get good quality information from the coaches, from the support staff? You know, you got to build that trust. And part about building trust is about giving back to them, too. You know, what can you do to help them out? They may need a favor, too. You know, they may need, hey, man, you know, anybody at this school, I want to move on from here. I'm, you know, I'm trying to rise up. Okay. Hey, I want to get, I want to become a scout. I have approximately, you know, I, I, last time I counted 22 young men and women in the National Football League that I helped and they got jobs. I gave them guidance and they're scouts in the league. And I don't know how many I have in college football. You know, uh, a pit uh, recruiter told me today, you can go, say, man, I want to blow smoke up you. But if it was for you being real to me when I was at this D3 school, I'd probably still be at this D school, 3D school instead of at Pitt right now. But you have to build relationships. You know, how do you do it? I'm a note writer. My notes notoriously hanging on people's bulletin boards. Okay. I do it because I'm honest and sincere about it. I want to thank people. I want to go ahead. If you get a new job, I'm writing your congratulation note because I'm also sincere about it. I do a lot. I've been writing notes since 1986. And that was before I was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I had an old uh, coach who used to write notes and he instilled that belief in me. I do it today. Yet. And you'd be amazed how many people uh, really like, like that. I got a note from uh, uh, the head coach of South Carolina, gradually my, my retirement and, uh, you know, just what he meant, what I meant to him building that relationship. You know, that's, you know, I keep those type of notes, man. It's pretty cool <laughs> putting your scrapbook. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you got the head coach of uh, 
uh, University of South Carolina. You got uh, oh god, I don't know. I make notes from people. Yeah, you know, I've you know I've I have a relationship with Coach Belichick, and I wrote him a couple of times. He drafted an old football player of mine from uh, Weber State, and uh, Tal Papua, and Tal never made it. He you know he went to Cleveland. Okay, then you know Bill got whacked there, and then uh, uh, Tal became an opera singer in New York City, a tenor. Hmm. Okay. And there was a thing in the Weber State Alumni Magazine about Tal Papo, football player to, to, to opera. And I sent it to Coach Bilicek, and he wrote me a handwritten note back. And he said, I always knew Tal had talent, but I thought it was football talent. <laughs> you know? And I have had my scrapbook. You know, when you, you just don't know what the power of a note is to build those relationships. But, but going back to the pro day, I just want to get familiar with them, you know? And have pinpointed questions that I may need answered. Then I just want to watch the workout. I want to study them. I want to see how well they follow directions. They got strange coaches putting them through some some of the strange drills too. Because you know some some of these coaches put put these guys through drills. I don't know what they're football related or not, but it's what they do. You know, so but you learned a lot about the young men. Mark, uh, did you have, uh, you know, obviously you scouted, you know, learned to scout all positions over, over time and all like that. I know uh, even today and I, and I've, I've, you know, watched my share of film over the years and all like that. I, I love to watch edge rushers and tight ends. Uh, do you, do you have a favorite position that you enjoyed scouting the most? Uh, I can't say that because you get so used to scouting everybody. You know, so I really, I really, I haven't really thought in that fashion. You know, you know, you just know you have to, you got 20 players. Sometimes you have 14 guys on defense. Okay. They only play for 11. You got to notice rotation, all that stuff. So you're not paying attention at, oh, this is my favorite. What's real cool, you notice is when you go, man, I got two guys on defense at this small school. This is going to be easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Two guys, man, I crank through that tape like it's nothing. You know, and I don't think they're draftable. I think they're good free agents, whatever. Chances are I'll know the coach and I'll say, hey, can you get these two young men to come in here now? So I don't have to watch practice. I can go ahead and move on because I got uh, 20 reports to do from last night yet, you know. But, uh, you know, I just don't think in those terms. Gotcha. Alex? Mark, yeah, Mark, I was going to ask you, and you mentioned this earlier, and I've, I've always read this in your in your uh, bio in the media guide, and I've always wanted to know, you mentioned in 1987, you spent a year as the Pittsburgh Gladiators GM. How did that happen? Because you were a pretty young guy back then. I just, I, I want to know the story of how, how that occurred, and did that experience help you as a scout down the road? It, I completely BS my way into it. <laughs> well, was, tell me. I was at Weber State, okay, it's a one-double-A school in Ogden, Utah. I got roped into that by Mike Price, who later went to Washington State and won two Rose Bowls, one with Ryan Leaf, okay. And I'm a graduate assistant there, you know, I'm I'm trying to get a full-time job. I'm living off $249 a month, you know. And uh, it was uh, 1987, and I saw a blurb in sporting news two years earlier about arena football at that time period there was no internet okay you had the sporting news was the bible because it covered all the sports you know all seasons even in the off seasons, they had something it was a two-inch blurb i cut it saved it well i'm reading sporting news in the ga office and i saw arena football going to be started they did a test game okay this summer jim foster created it and he, he said, you know, he's going to start building uh, staffs and all that stuff. So 
I went ahead and uh, he was living in Chicago. And uh, that time period, uh, 411 was information on a rotary dial. You guys, you guys probably don't remember that. Oh, yeah. Steve I'm does. At, I I, yeah, I'm, I'm 55. So, okay. Uh, I dialed 411 and the operators, you know, I was at Weber State, so I was burning up their phone lines looking for work. You know? And I dialed 411. I said, Jim Foster, Chicago. And uh, she goes, well, I got about 10 of them. I'll take all 10. <laughs> Wrote them all down. First guy I called was Jim Foster, ran a football. And he picked up and... I told him that I want to get involved. I'm at Weber State right now. And at that time period, I was a graduate assistant and I start running uh, the whole, all the trips uh, for, for, for the travel team and all that stuff. Uh, Mike trusted me and he liked me better than assistant AD at that time. And I was doing all, I was doing all kind of administration. I was coaching tight ends for him too. And I was doing football marketing. So I told him my background, all that stuff. And uh, he goes, well, we're going to put a franchise uh, tomorrow in Denver. If you can make it to Denver, since you're in Utah, uh, I'll interview you. I might just hire you. So I'm sitting in the office, uh, kind of dejected because, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh. My parents, my dad's still work. My mom's a waitress. Uh, I ain't got no money, man. And so Mike Price, the head coach, comes by. And he, he used to call me Gorbachev because Gorbachev was in Gorsak because Gorbachev was the president of uh, Russia during that time period. He goes, Gorbachev, what's going on? I said, good job interview. He goes, great. Where? Denver tomorrow for arena football. Never heard of it. Are you going? I said, Mike, uh, it's a 10-hour it's a drive. It's 6 o'clock right now. You know, by the time I leave and get there, it's going to be 7 o'clock in the morning. I got to drive all night. My car ain't going to make it. I got to beat up Volkswagen Rabbit. We used to call it the Silver Surfer. And uh, I said, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I said, ask your parents, give me money. Why are you money? I said, my, my dad's a steel worker. First of all, he wouldn't know how to do it. You know, he's a U.S. steel worker. You know, and my mom's a waitress. She wouldn't know how to do it either. And they ain't got money. And he goes, wait right here. He came back half hour later. He says, there's a ticket waiting for you, Delta. Here's $50. Go get that job. Mm. And I flew out on the uh, six o'clock flight, took a cab to uh, the old Nichols Arena. Uh, they uh, announced the Denver Dynamite team. Uh, he interviewed me and uh, he goes, well, I like you. I think you're going to be one of my general managers. You got to go to Wheaton on this date. And that's how I got it. Completely BS my way through it. You know? Wow. That's you know, amazing. And by happenstance, you work for a good, you know, you're working for a good man that happened to come through and ask you, you know, what, what are you doing? You tell him, got a job interview. And he went ahead and got you a ticket. You know, Mike Price means a lot to me. You know, yeah. he did a lot for my career. He's done a lot for a lot of people's careers. And uh, because of him and me and a good line of BS mm. and, and 411 information. <laughs> How about that? What an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. I want to go back to the Steelers. Um, as Dave noted, we love tracking this stuff. Did they they change your territory this year? You were a Southern Scout for a long yeah, time. Yeah, like you were Midwest to, to replace moved, Dan. Moved to the Midwest, and all the young scouts out there looked at me, and they said, you ever work out here before? So, yeah. They go, when? When I, when I gave Tom Brady that free agent grade. <laughs> they go, you gave Tom Brady a free agent grade? Yeah, so did everybody else except for the Patriots. They took him to sixth round. They, they, they go, well, that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, that was the last time I was out here. And then another young scout goes, well, we're going to Michigan State tomorrow. Are you going to Michigan State? Yeah, I'm going to Michigan State, too, because it was during training camp and all that stuff. And they go, 
who was head coach last time you were at Michigan State? I said, Nick Saban. <laughs> they have no idea Nick Saban was even the head coach ever at Michigan State. No, and then uh, Ryan Kelly was the head coach of Grand Valley State. Never did I ever think he would make it to LSU, Notre Dame, <laughs> Cincinnati, Central uh, Central Michigan in my entire life after meeting him in, at Grand Valley State. But this just shows you a thin snapshot of somebody you just don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to ask you as well, you know, Omar Khan, GM for, for the final year there. What were the differences in terms of the scouting process between how Omar Khan ran things and how Kevin Colbert ran things? I know Khan said it was about 85% the same. I'd be curious to know what that 15% difference was in terms of the approach, analytics. What kind of changed this, this past cycle? Uh, he just streamlined it, you know, basically. And uh, he added more analytics. You know, you know analytics, analytics is or I like analytics, but I like the nuggets of analytics. Mm-hmm. You know, and he had he added a lot of different things. So you knew what ideal size and speed for the last ten years were for every bite, for every position. You knew when you, you when you went into stats if they had ideal production, you know, uh, you know, or just average production or below average production. You know, just clues and keys of that fashion. But he just streamlined the approach where we didn't spend as much time. You know, Kevin was very meticulous, had a lot of checks, double checks, triple checks, and all that stuff. And Omar eliminated that down to, you know, check and double check. You know, but very similar in nature. And Omar did a nice job of, uh, you know, moderating everything and, and making them a stealer. Okay. And that's mm-hmm. what it all is, is about blending all the opinions, taking subjectivity, making them into a stealer. Okay. And, you know, that becomes objective and, you know, you know, I've said it before, you know, when you take subjectivity and make it to objectivity, it's programmed to fail too. But you know, we've had a pretty good batting average here in my in my 28 years. And Omar's in he's trending in the right direction. He did a super job this year. You know, time will tell, you know, what, what the future lies. All I know is what we did this year. And and uh, my my big thing is I'm just trying to make today a good yesterday. I ain't worried about tomorrow. <laughs> I got you. Uh, speaking of analytics, and, and because we're on the outside and don't you know are, aren't able to visit these schools and and get the get the all twenty two early and all like we have to kind of reverse engineer it. And a lot of times we start with the analytics part of it, then then kind of narrow it down as, as to guys you know over the years that we think you know the Steelers you know fit that kind of mold, and then you know get in more into the tape come draft season and all like that, just because of the way the process is on the outside here. But talk a little bit about you know we've over over the years can can kind of quickly identify you know it used to be the spark score, and then now it's more on the outside this uh, relative athletic score that 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 a lot of people depend on, and obviously it's it's related to length of you know measurements and and obviously times and all like that. But can you talk a little bit about the 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 improvement of analytics and specifically i mean there is analytically there is a Steelers type player right i think there's ideal players by position okay that you can go ahead and quantify by numbers but when you start talking about an ideal stealer stealer player there's so much other makeup involved in that and you're talking about the mental you're talking about the toughness and grit you're talking about for the love of the game uh, you know, Kevin always used to say that we make our all our mistakes on hearts and smarts. They weren't smart enough or didn't have the heart. They were a combination of both. 
And how can you qualify that by analytics? Right. Now, I, I know people that have low uh, Wonderlick tests and they're pretty smart about football. You know, and, and that's the misnomer about, about it, okay? Uh, I hate when people go, well, he's a rep learner. Well, that's all we do is teach reps, okay? We take it in the classroom. We show it on tape. We go outside. We do individuals, okay? We do unit work. We do nine on seven and, and, and seven on seven, and we do it as a team. It's a lot of reps, isn't it? And then we're going to go ahead and watch that tape again and break it down again. So we're all rep learners, you know, in some form, some fashion, you know, so so it's tough to quantify certain things. And Kevin put it real simple, hearts and smarts. And that's where we make our mistakes of, on. You know, it's easy to say analytics plays a role. But I, like I said, I like analytics, but I just think there's, you got to use the right nuggets. You know, if you get too much information, I think you become paralyzed with it. And, and Joe Madden thought that when his last job, he was one of the first you know, baseball manager when he was in Tampa. He, he embraced it and used it, but they had small, small uh, uh, departments. You know, it was a little bit bigger in Chicago. And he said when he went to the Angels, you know, they were in every staff meeting. They they dressed out. They sat on the bench. They talked to the players. They had, you know, they were in the dressing room. They had their own, they had their own locker next to the coaches. And it was just too overwhelming, he thought. Might have been one of his downfalls there. So, but, you know, I, I like it. I think our analytic guy, Tosin and uh, Will, do a great job. And you just got to use what you want to use. You know, and Mike has a lot, of, a lot of statistics he use, a lot of analytics. But he still watches the tape religiously. You know, he knows things that, the, that analytics don't tell you. He knows where the, line, where, where the running back's lined up at in relationship to quarterback, whether he's in a pistol set sidecar or he's one step back in the sidecar. He knows who that runner is. Does he have multiple role, role, uh, role player? Okay, can he play wide receiver and running back, you know? And, uh, you know, Mike still watches the tape, and he's really good at it. You learn a lot of football just hanging out. Mike watches tape in the scouting room. So we always tell the young young, young scouts and interns, man, yeah, man, listen to what Mike watch. Watch what he's watching because you learn a lot. And, and a grizzly vet like me learns a lot from him also. Uh, the big running joke we've had for, for several years, especially uh, towards the end of Kevin Colbert's tenure there was uh, that, you know, Kevin Colbert basically come come draft day had about 25 names on, on you know, uh, on an index card. And you could probably, <laughs> probably pull the draft class out of those uh, 20, 25 names. Now, you know, I, we have fun with that. But just over the years, you know, we've been able to, you know, if, if we had to choose 50 guys. You know, uh, ahead of every draft, we could probably pretty come close to getting the whole draft class out of that. I guess where I'm going with this, uh, do you feel like maybe the Steelers have become too predictable when it comes to the pre-draft process? And I guess, B, do they care? Uh, I don't think we're predictable at all. And I, I know we don't care. You know, uh, Kevin used to always use a developmental formula, and we still do it today, where it's a predictor of where you should pick your first round, second round, third round, you know, based upon what you saw, not what the media thinks, not what the other teams and all that stuff. It's how you like them. And uh, it holds true in the first three rounds. Then it starts to go ahead and get uh, uh, the people you like in the third, well, the people you like in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. You know, everyone else kind of likes those same people then, you know. But it's how you like him. You don't care what anybody likes. You, you know, you don't care what uh, all the, you know, 
Sean, uh, Todd McShay and all those other guys right. think, yeah, what do they know? Yeah, Todd McShay looks miserable every time you see him <laughs> on TV, for God's sakes. You know, he looks like he's not having fun. And football is a fun job, as you, guys, as you guys know. Absolutely. Go ahead, Alex. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you just a couple more questions, Mark, and thank you again for for your time. Is there one? I, I know you've scouted so many players over the years, but one Steeler that you the, uh, the story that sticks out to you the most, somebody that you watched and you scouted and you said this guy needs to be a Pittsburgh Steeler that this team took somebody you were banging the table for. Is there any any name that comes to mind? See, that's a misnomer about this. You know, when you, you, the Steeler ways, being a Steeler is really easy. It's all about the team. It's not about your ego. For me to say I banged my hand and my stood on table and stuff, that, that that's that's not we don't do that either. Once your turn get in the box, you say your opinion. Okay. When when you're out of the box, it's the next person's. Okay. You may disagree, but you don't have to be disagreeable. You know what I mean? There's people we pick, I didn't like them as a player, but once they become a Pittsburgh Steeler, they're family. I like them, mm-hmm. you know. So it's all about the team. Yeah, and, and that's that's Mr. Rooney when he was alive, he used to always address the group and say that all the time. You know, right before the draft, we had all departments and all that stuff in the football facility. And he used to say that to us. You know, he used to say, Hey, you may disagree with who we pick, but once once we draft them, they're family. We like them. And he was so right, because they are family. So it's all about the team. You know, it's not about you, it's not about the ego. And that's what this that's what mean, that's what Stewart means to me. Like I said, I re- it, but then I see. I also told you, you got you got to make your screw ups. Tom Brady's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you weren't alone in that one for sure. But I will always think about T. Martin being part of that class, that quarterback yeah. group ahead of Tom we, Brady. But we we gave him we we drafted him, became a heck of a coach because he's coaching yeah. Detroit. You know, right he's been around the block. His son's a football player, so we 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 saw something. T. <laughs> <laughs> right, for sure, for sure. My last question, then I'll let Dave finish things out. As you mentioned, kind of the Pittsburgh way, I think what's so unique about the Steelers is how many guys in that front office have ties to Pittsburgh. You, of course, from Pittsburgh, Kevin Colbert, Dan Colbert, the late Ron Hughes, Mark Bruner, Chidi Iwum, all those guys playing for Pittsburgh. Did that give you guys a leg up having such a sense of community and knowing about the city and the history of the team? Do you feel like that gave you an advantage as a, as a scouting staff in a front office to find the next great Steeler being able to lean upon that history that you guys basically all grew up within? I can't I can't speak for those people, but all I know is for myself, once I start working for the Pittsburgh Steelers, well, my dad said when I told him I was interviewing, he goes, You gotta get that job. Yeah, no, no kidding, Dad. You know? <laughs> and uh you don't have a you you don't want to let down a city. You know, it's it's kind of like uh if someone someone goes, uh, uh are you gonna leave Pittsburgh? I said, No, I'm gonna stay here. I'm established here, everybody knows me here. You know, I made a reputation here. I can, I go all the dive bars. I'm still a mark because there was a guy, guy from Cleveland. He's Cleveland marks to keep the bar tips. Different, <laughs> you know I mean? It's important. Yeah. But, but you don't want to have a sense of uh, letting the city down, the people down because you meet people. So you're out there. You know, you're, you know, when you're, when you're working for the Steelers and you have a bad game, well, you know, you're a target for people because they want to, they want to rant. They want to vent because they care so much. They have an opinion. So you don't want you don't want to let these people down in the draft, in a game, or anything like that. And you have to be respectful and, and let them vent. You know what I mean? You know, you, you got to be able, you know, you know, just listen. You know, you may not like it, but is it going to help you by telling the guy off, telling him, you know you're wrong and all that stuff? It's like, hey, you may be right. Yeah, that's a good opinion, you know. But you know, people care. 
there's other places that, uh, you know, uh, there's teams that you can be in the airport and they were, they were their, their swag. Okay. In the airport, no one's asking a thing. If I got a Pittsburgh Steelers shirt on or anything, Pittsburgh, there's people come up to you. Are you from Pittsburgh? <laughs> you know, so I try not to wear Steelers gear because people want to talk to you. Right. You know, you know, so you got to, you know, you you that's wouldn't be you wouldn't be able to hey, you wouldn't be able to hide from us wouldn't be able to pick you yeah I know you guys pulling me across the country I get it but, but you know other other teams man I don't know I thought I feel bad for some of those teams they they walk in the airport hey oh nobody talking to them you know when I start wearing when I had my Steelers stuff on everybody was talking to me I felt bad for them they, no one cares about them and it, it, it happens you know and. You know, there's certain teams, you know, the Cowboys, the Steelers, the Raiders. Those are the old traditional teams from the 70s. And, and everybody knew those teams. You know, now it's kind of like, you know, Jacksonville got to play overseas, for God's sakes, you know. You know, and you start looking at some of these other teams that don't win, and you go, God, we're their fan base, okay. Let's face it, there's certain groups, there's certain areas we go into, and we take over the stadium. You know, when was the last time Atlanta came to Pittsburgh and took over the stadium? Right. Yeah, you know, this year we took over the stadium down here. You know, so you got to look at things like that. This is a special, special place. You don't want to let anybody down. How, uh, to close you out here, Mark, uh, how, how, how would you, in a, in you know, a couple of sentences, sum up uh, your your uh, time, 28 years, oh, nearly 30 years uh, in the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers? Oh, God. Uh, and, and, you know, how, how will people remember, you know, what, what do you hope people say about Mark, Mark Gorsak 30 years from now? I, I just hope they knew that I was uh, a good person. I gave back. That's why I'm hoping. And I have, you know, I, I just, all I know is the only reason why I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers is because someone helped me and they always told me to give back. And every time I got a job or advance in this, in this from high school coaching to, Division three, one double A, arena football, Pittsburgh Steelers, whatever. Someone helped me. Some someone gave to me. And I always feel I gotta give back. And that's 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 all I want to be remember, remembered as someone who gives back and someone who represents this organization the right way. No, fantastic. That's making me tear up a little bit. <laughs> Mark, we appreciate your time so much. Tremendous insight. Congrats on a, on a fantastic Pittsburgh career. I know you said graduating, not retiring, still a lot more, I'm sure, for you to do. But cannot thank you enough for being so honest and earnest and, and forthright about your time in Pittsburgh. So thank you so much. Hey, no problem. Like I said, you got to give back. You people are important, too, because you're a mouthpiece for these fans. You know, number of traffic, you come through your website and all that stuff, and it hits is amazing for yourself. So you guys are doing a good job, too, Rapid. Well, that means Thank a lot son. coming from you for sure. And uh, we have enjoyed following your career uh, in, in Pittsburgh and look forward to what what's next for you as well, too. Appreciate you, man. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our special thanks to Mark Gorsuch for being so gracious with this time and uh, just a, a fantastic interview. I love, I mean, Dave, this is our Christmas. We love getting to talk to these guys and really go behind the scenes about what it's like to be a scout and how the process works and hearing some of the great stories that he told. 
it's a it's a really cool inside look that you don't get often as fans. Yeah, kind of surreal. Once again, you go from a guy that we've uh, followed around with the push pins uh, on the map, so to speak, for for uh, for several several years, and obviously him being part of the combine like he is, and being a very very recognizable uh, uh, face. And you know, uh, as, as we explained to him several times throughout the interview, too, man, we're all about we love process. I mean, more give us more and more process and uh it was it was good to hear uh several things that happened you know with, with, with the scout uh and 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 get some of those quite we we could have had him on another 40 minutes if, and he, mm-hmm. he probably he probably would have let us too uh, <laughs> if, uh, if we would have pushed it and all but uh uh for guys like us that 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 stay so far you're so in tune uh with the draft process and and scouts and i know you uh, note every change that happens, whether they, you know, go, go, go to the, uh, from the West coast, to to the Midwest and, you know, anything that moves on, on, on the Steelers, uh, scouting page, you know, you're obviously aware of, so it, it was cool to have them on. And I got a feeling that maybe that's not the last time that we talked to him either. Yeah, hopefully not, but, uh, wish him well with whatever comes next and so let us know your feedback about the the Gorsuch interview I hopefully you guys enjoyed that also a minor note here my voice may sound different on today's episode and during that interview which was recorded the other day um, I'm, I'm doing my own version of testing up pass rush moves during the spring right now with some some audio settings so uh just a heads up there if things sound a bit different compared to the previous podcast and the interview versus how I'm talking right now but Dave, uh, are you trying here? trying to say is it the peter brady setting or whatnot is that is, is that what <laughs> I it am is not old enough to get that reference enough uh, to respond to it i know it's a it's a brady bunch reference i'm right. trying to think which one peter was is this when his his voice group like he grew up and he was going through puberty and yeah his voice, his voice changed, was changing thing. yeah all right yeah i'm trying to avoid that because my voice naturally sounds like that i have just the worst voice and and i know i've, I've read some of the criticism and it's harsh but fair that i have a terrible podcast voice and i'm very very sorry for that but trying to make it sound a little more tolerable. I'm going to have to play with things, but I'm basically doing like the Cam Hayward spin moves right now in May just to uh, try to, you know, maybe tweak some things for you guys. I'm asking for a friend here, but do you have any sort of a setting that uh, uh, removes nails on a chalkboard uh, voice (laughs) uh, with some stuttering mixed in? Do you have any any setting for, for, for that? I think the program I use does have that. Let me look up the uh, nails chalkboard remover uh, setting. I do see that in there. Okay, good. Well, I'm, I might have to get that from you <laughs> after we're done recording this. All right, Dave, anything else you want to talk about or do you want to get to some reader emails and close out today's show? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun week, hasn't it? Uh, it has. And overall. thank you guys for listening and following. I know it gets a little bit slower this time of year, but still finding ways for us to stay busy. All right, David Miller writes in, with the Arizona Cardinals seemingly being in sell mode uh, uh, already and requested in a requ- requested trade, what is the plausibility and possibility of a trade for Buda Baker? He would fill an enormous hole as a slot cornerback in sub packages, and Casey could rotate in as a safety in those instances. Reports are a, uh, a third might be enough to make the deal. Thanks for all your work. Uh Look, I mean, I, I, I get where all the narrative is around, you know, the Cardinals and all and what uh, they, they might deal, uh, I, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, in fire sale off or whatnot. I, I'll tell you this, uh, Buddha is due a salary, a base salary in 2023 of a uh, hair over $13 million. 
Uh, he is under contract right now for, for the 2024 season at 14.2 million. Weren't there some, uh, kind of reports that he wants to be the highest paid safety as well too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's my concern. I think on paper in terms of the interest, I think it kind of, it, it fits, but he wants to get paid. He wants to be the highest paid safety. Pittsburgh's not going to pay him over Minka. And that's kind of where you have to draw the line and say, that's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, and and even though you could, there's always way of massaging things to maybe fit in a thirteen million dollar cap number, which is really high uh, for him based on where the Steelers sit right now. I mean, uh, you could obviously restructure. Uh, there's always ways to make that stuff happen. I just don't think. And here's the thing: if you did acquire a guy like him. A, you would have to, unless the, you know, unless the Cardinals were going to eat a chunk of that uh, uh, 13 million base salary to get him out the door, uh, you know, even what was left over of that, if they did eat any of that, you know, he's probably going to want an, you'd probably have to work out some sort of extension once he did hit the door uh, and, and. You know, are you going to instantly make him one of the top one or two paid safeties in the NFL? Likely not. Just everything screams the way his contract sits right now and the way, you know, you'd have to manipulate things. It just, it screams that there's absolutely zero way that he'll become a Pittsburgh Steeler this offseason. Uh, learning not to, to, to speak in absolutes over the years, I will say there is a 0.000001% chance that uh, that would happen. Someone's going to edit that before you get to the one and just leave the zeros in there. So you got to. We got, we got to make sure we're, we're, mm. we're, we're not, no one's doing that to you. Um, well, yeah, I had the master file, so, uh, <laughs> I, but I mean, I, it just, it, 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 it's not going to happen. No. I mean, again, I think it financially it could, I mean, if you wanted to do that, if you were hell bent on it, you probably could do that. But again, Pittsburgh has, as you've mentioned, kind of this philosophy of not, there's not a high the outside guys. Yeah. Not paying the outside yeah. guys. Generally speaking, there's exceptions for depending on the room, but again, they're not going to, they're not going to pay Buddha more than what they just paid Minka Fitzpatrick. That's just not, that's not how Pittsburgh operates. Right. Right. So, I mean, look, it's a great thought. Uh, I, 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 I'd love watching Buddha play. I really do. And he does, he feels like he'd be a guy that, that, that could fit in that defense and, mm-hmm. and in that room and all like that. It's just, you know, when you look at the reality of it in the financials and all like that, it, it it's just not going to happen. Yeah, but I, I thought that question was going to be about Isaiah Simmons, so I was happy to get a, a different Cardinal straight question in, uh, in there. Uh, Nick Shuley writes in, Le'Veon Bell's recent interview got me reminiscent of uh, the days of the Killer Bees. I wondered these two things and love your guys' input. Will Le'Veon Bell ever get into the Steelers' Hall of Honor? Uh, number two, will AB ever sneak into the Hall of Honor? He says, I know that some folks will focus solely on the stuff that has occurred in these guys' careers that isn't football related. However, it's tough to deny how good these two were, especially AB. Uh, hope you guys have a great weekend. As always, appreciate the hard work uh, from all the Depot team and everybody does for the listeners. Okay. Uh, Le'Veon Bell getting to, into the Hall of Honor. Man, 
Uh, really talking about both these guys. I mean, AB from a statistical standpoint, absolutely could. Uh, it just, it feels like a lot of years are going to have to pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a lot of years. I mean, uh, 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 before that to happen, I mean, from a statistical standpoint, for that string of years that he put together, I mean, I mean, you, you're talking, you know, uh, well, he says, I, I don't think he necessarily has Hall. Of, he uh, let, let me correct this. He says, will AB ever sneak into the Hall of Fame? I'm sorry. Oh, okay. uh, the Le'Veon Bell question was the Steelers Hall of Honor. The AB question was the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think I, I think AB, once again, I think it might take a couple of years, you know, uh, to get. He definitely had he those those string of years are definitely Hall of Fame worthy with AB. Oh, yeah. From an on-field perspective, I mean, we were putting this guy in Canton as he was playing his final years in Pittsburgh. And, and to me, there was no debate about that. And there's no arguing the type of player he was on the field. Starting with A.B. in the Hall of Fame, we'll see. It, it depends on how these next couple of years go. If he can relatively lay low and be quiet and not be in the news for all the crazy typical A.B. stuff, which he kind of sort of is right now for the AFL stuff, but it's not that big of a deal based on the A.B. scale of things. Um then maybe he will, but I think it's going to take, it's going to be hard. I think for some of those old school, we'll say uh, hall of fame voters to put aside all the, the antics that AB has had. Um, I, I, I think it's going to take quite a bit of time for, and quite a bit of just the nonsense to stop. If it ever does for people to kind of forget about that part of AB and remember how amazing of a football player he was. I mean, he's still in full-blown sideshow mode right now, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not, as of the moment, it's not as bad as it was even a couple months ago. It's the, the arrest warrants and all that kind of stuff. It's just kind of, you know, the AFL stuff's kind of more self-contained. But yeah, I mean, it's if he can just lay low for like three years, then he's got a shot. Right. It, does he have that in him, though? You know, that's <laughs> a very good question. And I'm not confident that that he does with Bell in the Hall of Honor. I think so. It would it, it's going to take time, like a decade, probably just because, you know, generally those players don't get uh, um, selected immediately. And, right. you know, Bell was only in Pittsburgh for a handful of seasons. It wasn't an incredibly long career, a very good career, but not incredibly long. So, yeah, I, I think he could get in, but it, it's going to take some some time. Yeah, uh, it's not unthinkable. Does AB get the Hall of Honor? That's obviously, a good question, Statistically, too. like, he's, you know, no-brainer in terms of the worthiness from an on-field perspective. But I, I, th- I think Bell might have a better shot just because AB took so many shots. At, he takes shots at the Roonies, man. It's hard to be enshrined into Pittsburgh's own Hall of Honor. So... I wonder if like Brown has the better on-field resume than Bell, but I think Bell might have the better chance overall still. I think both of them have, I, I, I'll I'll leave it at this. I think both of them have a shot at getting in the hall of honor. I just think it's going to be many, many years from now. Who has a better chance to get in or at least get in first in the hall of honor Bell or AB? I think Bell right now. Yeah, I'm with you. But, but even so, uh, I mean, we're talking, I think, at least five years, if not much longer than that. Yeah, I think probably within a within a decade might be the time where that conversation occurs. Uh, Mark Urban 
Urbaniak writes in, hi, Dave and Ox, keep up the great work. You guys make even the slowest times of year fun and exciting. Okay, good. Only wish the podcast were closer to two hours during these times. Some would, some would argue with you, Mark. Some like the hour uh, long ones. Some like the two hour long ones. Some like the 90 minutes, but we just, we, we try to do this by feel every show. And obviously having an interview like today makes the show run uh, a little bit longer. So you'll probably enjoy this one, Mark. He says, I heard that Darnell Washington slid to us in the third round because of possible knee issues. Why don't NFL players wear knee braces more? Seems like they might give the players with knee issues more confidence, especially in the trenches or blocking tight ends where they aren't running around as much. Well, there are offensive linemen still in the NFL that that, that wear braces for starters. A lot of them do. It's rare to see somebody who doesn't. I was watching somebody. I forget what prospect it was, but he had nothing. I mean, he had, I don't know if he had gloves on. Like he just was out there just, you know, totally old school. And I kind of like that. But yeah, a lot of guys wear braces today. As uh, far as Darnell and, and possibly needing to wear uh, a knee brace right now and, and all like that. I mean, that's that's one of those above my pay uh, grade questions, I think, overall. I mean, do, you know, we don't we don't even know how hampered he is at this point. I mean, obviously, I think Dr. Mel did a great job of of of, of researching uh, the history, the injury history related to him and uh you know, are there going to be concerns about Dar- Darnell Washington? And even if he came out of college with perfect knees, uh, just because of his size and how uh, NFL players are probably going to have to get him uh, down to the ground, you're probably going to have concern about his knees moving forward here. Uh, I don't know how to, uh, you know, provide any kind of insight on this worth using. Uh, you know, maybe this probably maybe reach out to Dr. Mel on 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 Twitter or whatnot and and ask about Darnell Washington and a knee brace. To me, it would when it comes to a guy that does have to be used down the field, it mm-hmm. would seem like that would you know offer up some sort of limitation. Yeah, I think there's practical reasons why you don't from a mobility standpoint, comfort standpoint, and and a and you kind of touched on this. Does the guy even need one? I think his concerns are a bit more long-term. It's not like he's coming off a torn ACL or some, he's had a a surgery or two, but nothing recent. So does wearing a knee brace help you if there's like long-term concerns over your knee? Probably not that much. And and given the downsides, maybe some of the mobility and the clunkiness of it, um, you know, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense for him to even wear it. Let's see, Dan uh, Hedrick writes in, David Ox, just curious what your predictions are for the yearly camp darling. He says, mine is maybe Monty uh, Potabomb, uh, a.k.a. Monte Powerbomb, as I've heard a few people use lately. Maybe possibly Hakeem Butler. Also curious your thoughts on uh, the on the intro outro music for your podcast. Uh, I don't know where he's going with the intro outro music. Uh, uh, about that, I don't know. Was Dan the one that sent that that created it for us? I don't remember how that all came about, but uh, somebody created that for us there. Uh, let's see, Camp Darling. Ah, ways away from that right now. I, look, I, I uh, of all 
there, there are a couple of the uh, undrafted free agents that I think are going to be fun to watch. I think um, Monty's definitely one of those. I think, uh, and you write, wrote about David Perales uh, mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. I think he's a guy that could be fun uh, to watch. I mean, this wasn't a big class, you know, right. overall. Uh, we've talked a lot about Hakeem Butler and, you know, the pros and cons related to him. It does kind of feel like Hakeem's going to need a little bit of help. To me, uh, I mean, I don't think it's unthinkable to think that 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 Hakeem could make the 53-man roster, but it, it does feel like he's going to have to be dead solid perfect and have some special team attributes uh, to help help him make it here. Or at least make some noise. Camp Darlings don't always make the team, but sometimes they just earn that summer buzz for you know some span of time, make the practice squad. And Butler with the size profile, you know, matched up against maybe some undrafted or you know lower level type guys in, in camp in a practice in a game, I think can can make some plays. Yeah, Perales is a name I mentioned because Pittsburgh always seems to have a, a guy at, at the edge rush position that's earning buzz, whether that's Who's our skipper, Ola Daney, Jameer Jones, even if those guys don't necessarily have tremendous stealers you know, regular season NFL careers, they earn that buzz. Perales, productive guy, hampered by an ankle injury in the pre-jet process, why he ran so slow, but still had a good three-cone time. And there was, again, that that really good college production overall. Other names to think about, some secondary guys. I think Duke Dawson can make some plays. Pedigree guy, Kenny Robinson, future contract. I think he could have, you know, a, a successful uh, summer, but we'll see. I mean, it's, it's the fun of camp. I sure wish four preseason games still existed. I really you do, and and I know that uh, apologies to the uh, NFLPA and and all like that, but man, it just seems a, like a you know a, to give these guys. I bet these younger kids would vote for one more game, <laughs> you know, uh, so they could they they could show their stuff. I think the the thing about Monty is, look, I mean the 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 fullback stuff. Uh, coming out of Iowa was 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 really impressive there. He'll obviously would have to uh, uh, do a great job of cracking some skulls that way the rest of the summer. What can this guy do on special teams? You know, mm-hmm. uh, could this guy be a a ten uh, special teams tackle a season guy? You know, uh, could could he be a a a, a young Derek Watt? In, in in when it comes to that kind of stuff there. So uh he's he to make the 53 man roster, he's not going to make it just as a pure fullback. He's gonna have to make it as a uh pure fullback slash special teams guy there. And you know he's it, it sounds like he has the spiritual makeup to do that <laughs> uh if you will there. So he'll be fun to watch. Hakeem will be fun to watch. Uh Bird uh, if he gets any opportunities re- to return some stuff, you know, there's always the stuff on Logan path that way there. So, uh, and I think you hit on a couple of, couple of wrestling names to watch there. Yeah. I mean, part of bomb because he's Monty the mullet. He's going to earn some fans. There's going to probably be one great lead block that he has that gets people's attention. But I, I would say his primary path to making it is through special teams as, as Rosie Nix's primary path was special teams. The fullback stuff is more secondary, so you can't rule it out. It's going to take some doing based on roster construction, but yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll have his fans for sure. Let me tell you, if he goes down there during the preseason and, you know, blocks a punt or, or, or separates a few guys from the football on a tackle, you know, I, I can envision Mike Tomlin giving that, uh, giving that speech and showing, uh, showing some, some, you know, Rosie Nick's tape, uh, during the process. 
Yeah, and Camp Darling does not have to mean that you make the 53. You might be on the practice squad for a bit and then work your way up. So, you know, there's opportunities for Potterbaum, even if it isn't necessarily 53-man out of the gate. All right, uh, Sim Football Critic writes in, thanks for all the work you guys put in on a daily basis. Truly appreciate it. By far the best in the business. By the time you see this, you may have already discussed this. Just in case you didn't, here's my question. With Quan Alexander not being signed and Marcus Golden signing as the third edge, is, is there a real possibility of Nick Herbert moving inside? He says, I know Mark Robinson is getting some first-team reps while Holcomb is out, but who's behind Robinson? Clearly, the Steelers are looking to add depth at the position. So I'm wondering if they will test the waters with Herbig, if they are unable to sign Quan Alexander. Uh, look, I mean, I Quan is still un, unsigned. I know he posted a video on Twitter, thinking jet gear or whatnot. Uh, still, uh, the other day there, I who knows what's going to happen with Quan? I, I we just don't have the insight on that. As far as Nick Herbig, I mean. Who knows how that's going to go? It, it, it does seem, though, that they're uh, they are geared to give him every chance imaginable to play on the outside, at least as we go through the remainder of the summer. So it, there, there doesn't seem to be any. And there's very I mean, we don't know we're not there. And there's been very little reported kind of about Nick Herbig overall. But I mean, it feels like he's going to get every opportunity to show what he can be as an edge throughout the rest of this summer. And then if any move maybe did happen, it would probably be on into next summer or something like that would be my guess. I don't know. But, I, you know, and we just talked about, you know, the uh, the potential needs. Still, who, who knows how this is going to shape out and who might be added or moved in that room moving forward? Right. We'll see. I understand the thought there, Sim, and good to hear from you. I appreciate you sending in the question, um, you know, with Golden being there. but. I think they're going to they're going to start probably Herbig as, as an outside linebacker, let him work there before they start moving him around too much. You don't want to put too much on this guy's plate, overload him as a rookie, get him comfortable one spot, and then maybe you explore more in training camp to move him around a little bit. I think that's generally how Pittsburgh works. So you guys know my thoughts there. I think he ultimately is best off moving to, a, to an off-ball position. I mean, Omar Khan, Andy Weidel did mention that at least the um, even after Denzel Martin said he was going to be an outside guy. So we'll see. But I think, you know, as, as most rookies go, they're going to start in one position, get comfortable, get a baseline foundation of the defense of the playbook. And then you can start adding more as they start to progress. Look, they obviously had enough interest in Quan to bring him in. Right. So uh, there is that. But when you look at what Marcus Golden signed for, uh, and I know Golden's a, a little bit uh, older and all like that, but uh, it would feel like if Quan Alexander does become a stealer, it would probably be because uh, let me tell you, if, if I'm Marcus Golden and, and I know he's an outside guy and Quan's the inside and, and inside guy. But if 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 Alexander comes in and gets signed for more than what uh, Golden signed for, there's I would imagine Marcus ha will be. You know, I don't know if he wears readers like I do, but uh, probably going to be looking up over the top of those things. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm just uh, totally random. I'm getting this information here on the fly, just reading a tweet. Apparently, and I, I, I'm probably beating a dead horse here, so I apologize. Washington tried to trade up with New England on draft night to 14, but the Patriots wanted a third rounder and Washington would only do a fourth. But then, of course, Pittsburgh gave up a fourth. So more 
this trade stuff will never ever stop being talked about, I guess. But uh, some uh, behind the scenes stuff from Washington coming out that's a little interesting and how that relates to New England. Now, did Washington pick their fourth round pick late was later than the Steelers? Uh, probably not. Washington sat at one spot ahead. I mean, they sat at 16. But I, don't, I don't know if they dealt or, you know, had, had, had yeah, I don't know either. I don't, I mean, I don't know where they were at uh, for sure, but I mean, anyway. cause Belichick, it, well, put it to you this way. I mean, Belichick would have took the higher pick if right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And apparently the Pats were initially asking for a third. I, I'd have to see what Washington's fourth round pick was. Maybe it was later and maybe that's what ended up happening there, but just seeing a behind the scenes look of the uh, commander's draft. And I haven't, this is you're you're giving me. Uh, yeah, new, I can send it to you. New news here, but, but no, my, my initial thought was if, if all things being equal and, and the deal ended up being for a fourth round pick, there's no way to, that Belichick turns down the, uh, right. turns like, down the higher uh, of the two. Mm-hmm. Well, let me try to look it up here. Fourth round pick. Right. And again, there's so many trades that it can be hard to keep up with. Pittsburgh sent, oh, what did they send? What what pick number was that? One, 120? I'm going to have to go uh, this I'm trying team. to think. Yeah, this, this, and I know, again, this is all, doesn't really matter anymore. Picks are in, picks are made, or focus on the, or the players' careers. But yeah, it was, where, where did her, where did Herbig go? Where did Nick Herbig? Yeah, it was 120 they sent to New England. Washington had a pick at 118. I don't know if they had any other fourth round picks. I'm not seeing anything from anything later in the fourth round. Huh. So, I mean, it's a two big difference. I, and I don't know if Washington even ever formally even offered that, that fourth rounder, to be fair. Um, they may have they may have declined that uh, opportunity. So, New England apparently asking for a third originally. My guess is that no one would would do that, and so they settled for the Steelers' fourth round pick. And where where is that uh, report coming out of? Uh, this is from uh, Ari Miroff, the My Sports Update. But it's uh, the Commanders have posted their behind the scenes. Okay, I think it's from I think it's a Commanders based uh, episode, or maybe oh. it's a Patriots based one. One of the two. All right. Well, uh, that'll be interesting to die. I I just. Uh, if if indeed Washington was willing to give a fourth, it's hard to imagine the Patriots turning down. The, maybe, maybe they did. Maybe there are other reasons we don't know. I don't know. They, yeah. It, now, it, yeah, I don't know for sure if Washington even offered the fourth as of right okay. now. So they, they may not have offered the fourth. It was just New England was asking for the third. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. I, I think we got through all of uh, his questionnaire. So I think that's all we have here. So we can start wrapping up. Anything else to add? Anything else coming in? No, we'll come back on Monday and see what happened. Might be a quiet weekend. Might be a busy weekend. Who the heck knows? But uh, fun weekend or fun week overall. And uh, again, really excited for this Mark Corsic interview for you guys to listen to. Want to get your feedback? I think it's a, a tremendous conversation, and, and appreciate how open and and forthright Corsic was with uh, his time. Absolutely, I agree. All right. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button up right, navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad free version of the site, go to SteedersDepot.com. Hit the ad free button up right, navigational bar. Uh, until Monday, have a safe and blessed weekend. And as always, Thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.